All right. Much better, huh? Well, good morning. I'm Les Terrell. I'm thankful to be able to share with you this morning what the Lord has given me. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's just we go throughout our weeks and we do our reading and our studying. And then we've talked so many times about when it comes time to teach, you know, you're praying for the Lord to give you that word. and, And sometimes he waits until like Saturday, right? And you're supposed to teach on Sunday. And sometimes he doesn't. And um, this time he didn't. You know, we, we Monica and I and <coughs> um, the kids, to some extent, are, we had this this uh, through the Bible in a year. Everybody's probably done that before. This one's really good. It's uh, McChaney, I believe. And you have four passages, two in the morning, two in the evening, supposedly. I sit there and read them all. And actually, two of them are supposed to be private, and two of them are supposed to be discussed with a family. And it's really, it's one of the best ones that that I've done, Um, but in reading through that, the Lord has really opened up, um, you know, some thoughts and some thinking and some revisiting um, of of, of scripture that we've heard before and read before, and this is one of those, one of those, um, I don't want to, I don't really want to call it teaching, I'd really rather it be a discussion, you know, a time of sharing. Sometimes when you think about, you know, teaching, in your mind, it conjures up this thing about getting before the class and, you know, being spot on and not, you know, but just having a conversation or sharing what the Lord's shared with you and asking for input and, and commentary. Um, sometimes I think that's even even more meaningful than just getting up here and going, you know, line by line by line. <coughs> so um, we're going to talk today about Jonah. Now, when I say Jonah, in all honesty, what comes to your mind? Whale. Anybody else? Nineveh. Okay. Fish slappers. Anybody with kids? <laughs> the old uh, veggie tales, you know. Um, I think uh, the Ninevites were called the fish slappers. <coughs> I digress. So um, that's, the, that's the thing, though. When we think about Jonah, we, we, we have this big story that pops into our head about Jonah and the whale and the miracle of you know, he got swallowed by a whale, and he was in the deep, and, you know, the, the, the Lord caused the whale to throw him up on the beach, and, and he lived. And, and it's, it's kind of like in our mind, that's the story, right? And I would, I would ask you to think about this, because there's a lot of other stories in the Bible that we probably heard and learned in Sunday school when we were kids. And that image that we got of the story has stayed with us. I don't blame everything on the enemy, but that is a twisting and a smokescreen of the enemy. Because I'm going to tell you, as we go through this, this is not about the miracle of Jonah getting swallowed by a whale and getting puked up on the beach and living. Okay? It is not that. Um, and I, I, I kind of I subtitled this in my own handwriting, Shattering the Myth of Jonah. Because as, as kids, we think, oh, my gosh, Jonah, you know, I mean, wow, he got swallowed by a whale, and the Lord saved him. And you have this bigger-than-life picture of, of this stalwart named Jonah, okay? So let me read you. Uh, I, I told Dennis in his honor, I brought the big dake, and I'll be sharing some thoughts from uh, the big dake. But let me tell you, the uh, I looked at the summary of Jonah, and it's pretty good, because it talks about the theme of the book. It says, the book is a story of a bigoted Jew 
who, after being chastened of the Lord for disobedience, preached and converted the whole city of Nineveh. But he was not happy that the 120,000 got converted. He was actually, I don't know if I can say this in here, but he was pissed. Okay? He was pissed. And so we think again of Jonah, the stalwart. He was a bigoted Jew is what he was. Okay? Does anybody know, I mean, if we, if we talk about Jonah and, and why he ran from the Lord, and, and some of the, I mean, a lot of this has been revelatory to me, and that's why I'm sharing it, because maybe it'll be revelatory to you. I mean, why did he run from the Lord when the Lord said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the word that I have for you? Why did he go 180 degrees the other direction? Was it just because he didn't want to go? Anybody? Okay, was it because he was rebellious? Okay, so he did, he, I don't know that it's so much that he hated the, well, it is, he hated the sin, but the, the Ninevites were enemies of the Israelites, okay? They did not like them, okay? So when the Lord said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites, he basically was saying, I want you to walk into the enemy's camp and say what I'm going to tell you to say. Now, there may be, a, <coughs> yes, he was a big Jew. Uh, he was, I, th I think, um, definitely rebellious, selfish, um, uncaring. But could there have been, so think about this. You know, we, we, think, we think about, let's just say Al-Qaeda. You know, I mean, with this, you know, this mass of people that we're, we don't really want to be in the midst of, right? If the Lord said, Monica, I want you to go preach the word that I have for the people of Al-Qaeda, might you be tempted to run? Right. <laughs> right? So he could have had some fear, right? Because he was being asked to go into the enemy's camp to bring this word, and he was having none of it. Could it be that he didn't want to see them turn? Well, you just jumped ahead to the end of the story, and that's fine because that is no, because that's the deal. Is he? Sometimes in our prideful righteousness. Yes. We deserve to rot in hell. Well, and that's that's what I want to I want to I want to loop us I want to loop us around our own thinking about people groups and you know politics. I mean, all of that. Think about it. I mean, oftentimes in our mind, we we. We don't want to, not only do we not want to go preach the word the Lord has given us, we want them to go to hell. Okay? Does the Lord want them to go to hell? Yes. You know, I was thinking just this morning when we were on our way to church, we ran across, uh, you know, there's a lot of homeless in hell. Sure. Under these bridges and stuff. And we, we passed by a place that uh, there was um, a homeless camp, and the guy had, had a truck out front. <laughs> but anyway, we talked about it and, I, and just this week I was driving uh, through uh, Mahaya and and there was a lady and you could tell she was homeless because she wasn't well kept sure. and she was pushing some kind of cart I don't remember which kind of cart it was but you could tell that she was homeless of course the first thing I did was just reach out to the Lord and ask him to touch her you know mm -hmm. but how often do we put stigma on those kind of people yeah. oh yeah I mean do we want to go down to the homeless camp really get in the midst of all those people and talk to them. I mean, really, our flesh doesn't want to do that. No, it doesn't. I mean, because we don't want to, you know, 
a lot of times those people have created their own problems in their own life. But you know that doesn't. We can't put that stigma upon them. We can't. We can't label them and saying all these things about that individual. You know, God loves them just like He loves us. Mm-hmm. I think about that too, and I think about you know the, the. I mean, clearly the Bible says, "Judge not, lest you be judged." Right. And 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 if we start, well, you're there because of what you did. Well, that's judgmental. Maybe it's they're there because of something they didn't do. Right. I mean, yeah, I we we, we just don't know. I think that we are guilty, really, of. Of not owning what we are also guilty of. In other words, it's easy to say that they did something to get where they were, but we all do stuff to get where we are. Right. And I mean, we can look like we're really successful and great, but in the Lord's eyes, what's happening and the decisions we make to put us where we are is a you know that's where you have to that's where you have to really find yourself is that you realize I am no different than that person right there. No different. And I know better than that person right there. And so it's, it is, it's hard to put yourself in that place. It's very easy to say, well, you know, I saw the decisions they made that, that you know, ended up this girl, she was pregnant and had a baby out of wedlock, you know, whatever the, right. whatever the scenario is. And, you know, we're like, mm-hmm, you know, whatever. So how many times have we asked for a bailout? And I mean, oh, we're yeah. all guilty yeah. of that very same thing, maybe a different scenario, but, you know, we have to, it's really hard not, though, to look at the appearance of things. And I think about the, the scripture that says, you know, our righteousness is as filthy rags, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the word rag there is pretty filthy, right? And um, the Apostle Paul, I am chief of all sinners, I mean, you know, he knew, boy, he was, he, he had a... The Apostle Paul had a wonderful view of himself. You know, the Lord was constantly reminding him that he was nothing. I mean, he was a persecutor of Christians, right? Killed them. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Um, and, you know, there before the grace of God go we. I mean, it, how many little turns in the course and the path of our lives could we have taken that could have landed us under that bridge? Right. You know, I mean, we just do not know and it, it's not for us to know and and that's one of the lessons I got out of this this um, this book is it's it's just not for us to know I mean what it is for us to do is to obey God right right w- w- and we we I mean we have that's the thing we have ob- that's why it says to obey is better than sacrifice okay just do what he says and and, and try to manage your expectations okay mm-hmm. <coughs> um Mm-hmm. We don't know what God has asked someone else to walk through mm-hmm. also. That's a good point. We don't know if that person is a witness and a testimony in a place that we have no idea what, what God is, is requiring of people. Mm-hmm. And again, that's you know the appearance of something. We judge it for what we think is normal and what should be right, but we have no idea what God is doing in folks and how he's using them, what what their calling is, what they must walk through and who they must touch, you know, and the ways he's doing it, or that he's just trying to bring them back. I mean, there's just so many scenarios, oh, man. the countless ways that God's moving. I, I, I think about the ways of God, you know, beyond our knowing, and I think about the complexity. The, you think about a big puzzle and all the pieces that are being moved. You know, this man walks across a whatever, and this person happens to be there at this time, and this person's bending over, picking up, whatever, and all these things the Lord has orchestrated 
for, for purposes that we know not of. I mean, it's just, it is mind-boggling if you think about it. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And, that, and that's why I say, you know, in our human nature, we want to know. We want to figure it out. We, we want to know how things work. We, we, we just, we want to we, we know, okay? Um, we need to be okay not knowing. Because it doesn't really matter whether we know or not know. What matters is whether we do or not do. Whether we do what he tells us to do or whether we don't do what he tells us to do. God is going to accomplish his will regardless and in spite of us. But don't we want to be used as he wants us to be used? Don't we want to grab his hand, a partnership, and walk along this path and do those things? And this is an amazing story because like Monica was pointing out yesterday, the end of this book is weird. It like it ends just like bang, and and for a lot of people that's troubling. They're like, wait a minute, what you know, what happened to Jonah? How did this end? We don't know. But what I want to do is I do want to dispel this this I call it a myth of this grandeur of Jonah and 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 how great a guy he was and and him getting you know in the belly of the whale and all that. And there's some discussion because I I always thought. And we all think these things. Okay, he gets swallowed by a whale, right? And the whale swims down to the bottom of the ocean. And I'm thinking, all right, I guess there's enough oxygen in the belly of that whale to sustain him for three days, right? Does the acid in the belly of the whale not start, you know, digesting Jonah? Okay, so it is a miracle. But in doing the study, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's many people that think that he actually died and then was resurrected. Because there's a passage in there that says, you know, out of the belly of the whale I cried from the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, so they, they think that, that he died in the belly of the whale and was in Sheol, right, mm -hmm. hell, and he cried out to the Lord and the Lord resurrected him. I don't know. I don't care that I don't know because I'm okay <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Okay, so um, I want to read a passage to start us out with in Luke, um, and it's, it's Jesus here that's talking, uh, and we'll begin, and it's on your teaching sheet, <coughs> uh, Luke chapter 11, we're going to read uh, 29 and 30 to start out, um, it says, and, and when the people were gathered thick together, he, Jesus, began to say, this is an evil generation, boy, he could have been speaking to us today. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. <coughs> um, before I go on, let me read you something else. This I found in the commentary. Um, I read you what Dake, oh, well, so let me finish what Dake said. So he said this is a story about a bigoted Jew after being chastened. He um, went and preached and converted the whole city. Um, the purpose was to show why the destruction of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire was delayed by God for almost a century and to illustrate the fact that God's mercy and salvation are for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, the Ninevehs were Gentiles. Jonah was a Jew from Israel. 
they were the only ones that could be saved by the Messiah, not the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. That was his take on it, right? But it also says here that, um, talking about God's mercy and salvation for both Jews and Gentiles, for Gentiles who will repent and turn to him and to typify and illustrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? In another commentary that I found, it says this. This is kind of, it says, this droll tale of the disobedient prophet and the responsive people of Nineveh is a satire on Israel's self-righteousness. Jonah represents the people of Israel restored after the exile and insisting that only they could be saved, but in fact running away from God's demands. <coughs> the Ninevites represent all the Gentiles ready to respond instantly to the Lord's call. Okay? In all my years and, 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 and hearing of the story of Jonah and the whale, I never really put it together that this was really about Jesus, life, death, three days in the tomb, resurrection, salvation. Mm -hmm. Jonah, in the belly of the whale, three days, death, resurrection, puked up on the beach, goes to Nineveh, preaches the word, salvation. Anybody else? I mean, I had no idea. Precursor. It, yeah, it was, a, it was a precursor. What what impressed me about uh, too, along with all these things too, is that you know, Noah Noah was not only running but he was hiding from God. Noah, sorry, Jonah. Okay. Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah. Yes, Jonah. he was hiding. And and it's as if the Lord is saying, "Oh, you want to hide." <laughs> right. I'll put you in a place that is far more hidden than where you are now. And you will not only be secluded, you will hope that I can hear you. Mm -hmm. You'll cry out for me. Mm -hmm. You can't hide from me. And sure enough, we know that from the writings that that's exactly what Jonah did. Cried out from a place that was far more hidden than he had ever thought of, that he ever thought he could ever be. Right. Who would ever think that they could be that hidden from God? And from that point, he cried out. He did cry out. But the interesting thing is, in the end, he was really not much better off than where he began. <laughs> and we'll see that, right? He was alive. Yeah, he was not moved by what God did. That's the thing, and but I but I have to say, we are not wholly unlike Jonah. Oh no, he's much worse. <laughs> <laughs> he's so much worse than we are. No, you know, so these lessons, I mean, these stories, and then this this book, this prophetic, this this is a a unique book in the fact that it is a story versus a a bunch of prophecies. Okay. Um, <coughs> But the story is very thought-provoking and, and caused me, at least, to be very reflective and, and to ponder my walk and how I conduct my business before the Lord, mm -hmm. the Lord's business before the Lord, right? Is that what a sign is supposed to do, though? And Jesus said that it was a, it's a sign? A sign, yeah. For this generation? Yep. 
So good, Monica. Yeah, just like a sign on the street, right? Turn right, turn left. I mean, tells you. Pay attention. Pay attention, yes. Heads up. Okay, so uh, back to Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. So when the people were gathered together thick, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there will be not a sign given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. So... The Son of Man, Jesus, was a sign to that generation. Jonah was a sign to the people of his generation. In verse 32, we read that the men of Nineveh shall, and this is again Jesus speaking, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Jonah came, preached to the Gentiles in Nineveh. They repented. And here's Jesus, greater than Jonah. Are, are, are you guys going to do the same? Right? Because Jonah was the precursor. Verse, verses 33 to 36, Jesus still speaking here. He says, No man, when he's lit a candle puts it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but he puts it on a candlestick so that they which see may come in and see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the eye is single, the whole body is also full of light. But when the eye is evil, the body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If the whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle does give the light. That's Jesus talking about Jonah, right? So um, we'll, we'll continue on here. <coughs> so going to the story of Jonah and the whale, beginning in verse uh, 1 uh, and 1, 2, 3, we're going we're gonna to learn about rebellion or disobedience. Um, through Jonah's actions. So it says here, beginning in, in verse 1, chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But again, Jonah thinking, Boy, you want me to go into the teeth of my enemies? Uh, plus, they're, you know, they're just dirty Gentiles. He arose up and fled unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. <coughs> and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the <coughs> Lord. So I'm just curious um, if any of you have ever had this happen. You know, as the Lord uh, told you to do something, and you said, mm, I think not. Anybody? Well, when the Lord asked me to wake up at night to pray, it took me about three weeks, maybe a month, to say yes, because I knew when I said yes that I was going to have to keep that vow. Mm -hmm. But it took me that long to say yes. I mean, I really didn't know if I could do it. So you ran? You, so I you didn't were, run, but in effect, you were turning I mean, we from talked that. about it a lot. But I just couldn't commit. Mm -hmm. It was really, I can't tell you what, how hard that was for me. 
It's really hard to say yes to that. But I didn't run. I just, I just like, I just couldn't. <laughs> I rolled over. <laughs> well, this was, yeah, we don't want to talk about this during the daytime. So and he wasn't waking me up yet at that point. So he didn't start waking me up until the very day I said yes that night. He woke me up with a heart attack. Now, there wasn't any doubt what was going on for sure. But it was. It was a very hard decision to make. Not hard. I just knew if I said yes, I had to be able to keep it. Yeah. You know? So it was. Anybody else? Anybody? <coughs> you know, in, uh, in Genesis, when Eve is in the garden and she sees the apple tree, right? She looks on the apples and they're all dripping with sweetness. And she plucks one off, and she's just looking at it. Satan comes in, and what does he do? Has God really said you can't have that? Right? I mean, I, I think about that because I think frequently when the Lord tells us to do something, it's very easy for us to say or to rationalize in our mind, did I really hear that? Was that really, yeah. was that really God? And well, we have to be careful. Huh? I've done that many times. Yeah. And we have to we really have to have our spiritual discernment heightened because the enemy will step in and he'll 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 cause us to not do what the Lord <laughs> has told us to do through just a little simple trickery like that. Has Tammy, has the Lord really said that? And then you start thinking, eh, yeah, I'm probably that's probably just me. Right? So we have to I just want us to all be on guard against that because that is a ploy and a tactic of the enemy and we need to be on guard. Um, and then I wanted to talk about this because, you know, we, we think about Jonah and we think about the Lord said to go to Nineveh and we think about Jonah running. And was he really running from God? I mean, what was the reason for his disobedience? Well, now that I've really studied this, I learned that the reason was he hated his enemies. He was a... You know, we talk about being a patriot. Monica, you're a patriot of the, of the United States, right? Jonah was a patriot. He was a loyalist of Israel, okay? At the expense, though, of, of 120,000 people in a city that the Lord wanted to save, okay? He was, as, as, as we've read before, he was kicking against the pricks, okay? He knew the Lord wanted him to go to the enemies of Israel and preach this word so that they would get saved. He did not want them saved. They were Gentiles, and only the Israelites, the Jews, could be saved through the Messiah. Period. That's why he ran. Okay? Um, continuing in chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. So we know Jonah's on a boat running from God. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners, the sailors, they were afraid, and they cried every man unto his God, and they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten them. So they basically threw all the cargo 
off the ship to lighten it. Okay? But Jonah had gone down into the sides of the ship and was asleep. Okay? He was fast asleep. That's pretty amazing right there. Number one, it's a storm. Number two, he's running from God in disobedience. And, and he has the wherewithal to just have a peaceful slumber. That's amazing. And it, but it, and it tells us something about the bigoted Jew. So the shipmaster, the captain, came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God. If so be that God will think on us, that we perish not. And they said, Everyone to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we might know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon, surprise, Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? And so Jonah said unto him, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which was kind of a lie. Because if he feared God, he would have obeyed God. Okay? I mean, we're learning a little bit about Jonah's character here, right? He's asleep in the midst of the storm. Everybody's going to die, and he's down there crashed. Um, you know, he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, which is a lie, which made the heaven, I'm sorry, which made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said unto him, Why have you done this? Because they knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Okay? How do you tell somebody you're doing something that you're not aware of. He knew he was running from the Lord. And he told these guys, I'm running from the Lord because he wants me, a Jew, to go down and bring this message to the Ninevites, the Gentiles. And he's going to save them all. And I, you know, I'll have none of that. Can I digress just for a minute? Absolutely. Because, just because I never really understood this, but what does it look like to cast lots? So if let's say we have let's say we have twelve people and we have twelve toothpicks, okay? It's like poker. Well, we all have twelve toothpicks, and one of those toothpicks is broken in half, okay? So what happens is when you cast lots, everybody shows their hand, and whoever has the short stick—that's where the term "I drew the short stick" mm -hmm. comes from. So it's not spiritual at all. No. Well, God does. Well, no. Well, obviously, God, used, God was in it. Well, God used casting lots, though, a lot of times to make decisions in the Old Testament. Yeah. And and the or what is it about? There's there's something about. I may be wrong. The election of the uh, disciple yeah. that replaced. Uh, yeah. They used toothpicks. Matthias. Well, that was just an example. Toothpicks was an example. They, yeah. Stones, they maybe. Varieties. They can use a, a variety of different things. I think but casting. That's spiritual. Because <laughs> God can make it happen the way He wants it to. I think that back then, they that was a that was very common for them yeah. to make decisions based on the casting of lots. So God can make if one of us played the lottery to help finance the end time kingdom for the saints movement. He could do that, right? He sure that, could that if he wanted will. to. Sure <laughs> I know, but morally, people look down on that. I mean, it just seems strange to me. Well, but back then they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't do a fivefold. <laughs> they could have done a fivefold. <laughs> That's true. They 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 didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have I didn't mean to digress. I 
One of the things I wanted to point out here is, um, you know, the consequences. I, I love consequences, okay? Because without them, it's like anarchy. There has to be consequences for good behavior, for bad behavior. Because if there are not consequences, it's just an absolute free-for-all, right? So I love consequences. But we have to remember there are consequences for our actions as well as for our inactions. And oftentimes these consequences do not only impact us. They impact everyone around us. All the men on the ship, their lives were at risk. The, the whole cargo, I mean, a ship was, was designed to go to port A and pick up the cargo and transport it to port B. It was commerce, right? And there was money to be made. There were service, I'm sorry, there were goods to be provided, right? We have all those container ships out in the, uh, off the shore in California. You know, inflation's going up. Half of that's probably because the stuff we want to buy is floating in the water, yep. right? And so the few toys that are left on shore, everybody's bidding up the prices. Um, these consequences affect everybody and around us. And, you know, the, the merchants that had paid for the goods that were transporting them, it cost them their whole thing. I mean, just we have to remember when we're making a, a decision, and even if it's to our detriment and we realize that, it's going to impact others, not just us. Okay? So that's more reason for us to, you know, be wise in our decision-making, thoughtful, prayerful. Um, you, know, you think about King David. First time he went to bring the ark in, right? He did it because the people said, yeah, that's a great idea. He did not ask the Lord, do you want me to bring the ark in? And what happened? They, you know, Ohio or put his hand out there and it killed him and David was afraid of the Lord and he had that long period. Second time, he sought the Lord and he did it the right way, right? That was a choice he made. The first one was a choice he made. The second one was a choice he made. I want to make choices like this, the way he did it the second time, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't want to. I don't want to have people, uh, you know, come to Drop a premature death you. because of, of a decision I made, right? What'd you say? Dropping dead around you. Exactly. People dropping dead around you. I don't <laughs> want that. Well, there goes Les. <laughs> Stay away from him. <laughs> okay. Um, Let's see here. Now, verse. I want to read verses 11 and 12, chapter 1. So then they said unto him, Hey, Jonah, what should we do to you that the sea might be calm for us? Because the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Hey, pick me up and throw me overboard. Cast me into the sea. And when you do that, the sea will be calm unto you. Because I know that for my sake, this great tempest has come upon you. You know, when I read this the first time, I was thinking, well, that's Jonah. You know, he's taking responsibility and accountability for his actions, even to his own detriment. That's not what was going on. That's what I thought. I was going to give Jonah an attaboy. No. He basically right here is saying, I would rather die mm -hmm. than go to Nineveh and cause my enemies to get saved. 
That's what he was saying. Pretty amazing. Uh, continuing verse 13. Nevertheless, the men on the ship rowed hard to bring the ship to land, but they couldn't, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous. So they cried unto the Lord, and they said, We, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. These are heathen sailors crying to their, you know, they were crying to their gods before. Now they're crying to the Lord saying, don't lay this sin against us. Does it remind you of Stephen the martyr? Okay, there's a lot of, right? Stephen getting stoned, he looks up in heaven, you know, please don't lay this sin against them. Here you have these heathens asking the Lord, don't hold this, in a, you know, don't hold this against us for doing this. And to me, when you look at this, you have these sailors. I mean, Jonah's given them the answer. Throw me in, the sea will calm. They don't just pick him up and cast him in. They keep fighting, right? They keep rowing hard. They're trying to get Jonah and themselves to land. And finally, they just they, they, they realize that it ain't going to happen. But they tried. And that's, I think, that's pretty amazing to me. Verse 15 and 16, it says, so they took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea and indeed the sea ceased from her raging so then the, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows unto him right there these guys came to the Lord it's amazing they got faith in God the God as a result of this Okay, so um, continuing here, chapter 1, verse 17, we're going to read through two, chapter 2, verse 7. So the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, just like Jesus was in the, the grave three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and he said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. And that right there is the passage where a lot of people think that he actually died. Okay? And went not 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 necessarily to hell, but to Sheol, the holding place before the decision or your ultimate place was arrived at. Um, but he cried to the Lord nonetheless, and he says here, Thou heardest my voice. For he had cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All the billows and the waves passed over me, and I said, I am cast out of thy sight. But then he says, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. And I find that interesting, because he's down there, and he, in his distress, he's almost, it's like, you know that the, the, the passage that says, call those things that are not as though they be? It's like he's, he's, he's prophesying that he's going to get out of this. That's, and, and that's just my ponderings there. But he says, I'll look again towards your holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars were about me forever. Yet 
Hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God? When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. If you were in a, a strait like Jonah was here and the Lord heard your prayer and he caused the fish to spit you out, would not your life be changed? Would you not be seeking to do what the Lord says, right? And just having gratitude for every breath you get to take? Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, But, but they, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice, this is, again, Jonah praying to the Lord. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have owed. I'm sorry, that I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. And so then the Lord spoke unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Something that stuck out to me here is this, pa this passage here, this verse that says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I made a note when I was reading this, and I, I, I wrote down, there's grace and there's mercy set aside for us. There's grace and there's mercy set aside for you, Monica. Mm -hmm. There's grace and there's mercy set aside for you, Dennis. But when we observe and give heed to lies and vanity, vain things, vain thinking, we forsake that grace. Yes. It's like a hall pass, you teachers, right? You have this hall pass. But when you listen to lies and vanity and you give heed to that and you start going down that road, you just, yeah, just do it in the trash. I need all the grace I can get. I don't know about you, but we need to we need to not give heed to the father of all lies, whom lies come from, um, and we don't need to be listening to vanity. Chapter three. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and he said, "Arise." Go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So when the Lord tells us, get up and go preach this word, or get up and go, and then I'll give you the word later, because he may do it that way, um, we need to do it. We need to do it to whomever he tells us to do it, friends or foes, right? So Jonah arose, and he went this time unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. It says, Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and he said, and this is Jonah's prophecy over that city, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was Jonah's prophecy over the city. And quite honestly, Jonah would have loved for that to have come to pass. The Ninevites were the enemies of the Israelites, and Jonah is representative of Israel's self-righteousness. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh, I love this, because this is how we need to be. If somebody 
speaks a word to you, a word of reprimand, calling you out. Well, our natural inclination is to what? To argue and to prove that they're not right. Okay? That's our natural inclination. If somebody calls you out, you're going to defend yourself. Verse 5, so, so Jonah had called him out. He had called out the Ninevites. And what did the people of Nineveh do? Did they start justifying their actions and you know, proving that they were right? It's, it says in, in verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed, believed God, and they proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. This was, these were the Gentiles, but they were a repentant people. And the Ninevites, again, are representatives of the Gentiles. In reading this, I was reminded of a passage that I don't have on your sheet from Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read this real quick. Acts chapter 13. This is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. It says, In the next Sabbath day, um, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul. So this is interesting. This is like the reverse of what's going on. Jonah, the, G, the Jew, speaking to Nineveh, the Gentiles. Here we have the Apostle Paul speaking to the Jews. And they were filled with envy, and they spoke against the things that Paul spoke. They were not repentant, right? Mm -hmm. They spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, the Jews. But seeing that you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn and go to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But what did the Jews do? They stirred up the devout and honorable men and the chief men of the city, and they raised up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they expelled them out of their coast. But then Paul and Barnabas walked out, and they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Wow. That's, that's such a good story. The Gentiles were a repentant people. The Israelites were not. It was their way or the highway. The Messiah was for them only. And, you know, Paul Paul was a Jew. I mean, he knew that was not the case. All right, back to the story, chapter 3, verse 6. So the word came. Okay, so we just learned that, um, that the people of Nineveh, the people believed God and they proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, greatest of them even to the least. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, 
in verse 6, and he arose from his throne, took off his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Okay, this was the king. So not only did, were the people repentant, the, the leadership, those in authority were repentant. How would we like that to be the case today? Oh, that it were so. Verse 7, the king caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout all of Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let not man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat. Don't let them drink. Don't even let them have water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yes, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. You know, when it talks about every man and beast, basically that's, they're saying everything. We want everything to be repentant. Everything. This this was a citywide proclamation. Have we had any citywide proclamations here lately? Yes, we have. Verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger from us that we don't perish? We have all experienced citywide, nationwide, worldwide mandates mm -hmm. because of what? COVID. Okay. Our city leaders, our state leaders, our governmental leaders our national leaders. When I thought about this, it made me think, you know, here's this king in Nineveh that makes all the people fast and pray, sackcloth and ashes, hoping that maybe the Lord will repent of this proclamation that Jonah had spoken over him. Okay? You know, is COVID a, a judgment? I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm just, my, this, these are the ponderings of my mind, okay? But would you have ever thought before this that it would be possible for the entire world to be sequestered and mandated to stay in their house with a high degree of obedience? I mean, most of it was out of fear, but I, was, I suspect 99% of the people out there, they did that, okay? Okay. If, if, if our leaders had made a worldwide mandate that we sequestered ourselves in our houses and fasted and prayed, could the outcome have been different? And don't tell me that they couldn't have done that. Well, that's right. Okay. Because they did. Because they made us stay inside because of COVID, a virus. <laughs> You know, and there's something greater than that which kills the flesh going on now, and it's like nobody even talks about it. That's our job, right? Verse 10, so chapter 3, verse 10, and this is what pissed off Jonah. 
I can say that in the house of God. Yes, you can. You said it three times now. <laughs> if not, I'll probably hear about it <laughs> from the Lord. No one say anything to me. <laughs> Verse 10, God saw their works. He saw that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did it not. Right? God looks on the heart of man. The Ninevites, that word came. They were scared. But they fasted. They prayed. They laid in sackcloth. They sought the Lord. That he would turn from this evil that was intended. And God saw him. And it repented him, and he did not bring the evil he had planned upon them. That's amazing to me. And this wasn't a group of 12 people. This was 120,000 people in the city. Okay? So this also is very amazing. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. <laughs> Think about that. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was very angry. I want to read you, Dennis, from Dake, a note here. This was just what Jonah had feared would take place, that God would be merciful and spare the city. And Christ, as we read earlier, even referred to this, right? That, that passage we, we said, the sign will not be given except, except the sign of Jonah. And here I am, just like him. It displeased Jonah exceedingly when Nineveh repented and God spared its 120,000 inhabitants. In fact, he became angry instead of appreciating the fruitful ministry the Lord had given him. Right? <coughs> Crazy. It says, it says uh, a lot about Jonah as a person, but then it also says a lot about Jonah's faith. <laughs> <laughs> right? At the same time. Yeah. I mean, where was, I mean, just a bit earlier, we read about him in the belly of the whale getting right with the Lord, right? And here, here he is. And he knew God would do a work. Yeah. If he preached it, he knew God would do the work. He did. And he did. And he did, and then he didn't like it. It I says a lot about him as a person, but it says a lot about the person's faith. Yeah. It's crazy. That is crazy. You know, you think about the other prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the, the other prophets who maybe didn't have the same kind of success with Israel or with but you, you know, you read about how, you know, it says the burden of the Lord came upon them, and there's relationship there. There's like His burden that's that, that's upon them, and through that burden, they intercede, they cry out for the people that God has really appointed to them to minister, to prophesy, whatever, to bring deliverance. And you don't really see this with Jonah. Not at you all. You just see God saying okay, you're a prophet, I want you to go here and say this. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there anything in there that says, 
if you will turn, the mercy of God will be upon you. But it's just, tell them this, that they're going to perish. But it's just, you just don't see a lot of depth or relationship between Jonah and the Lord. There's no burden there. There's just, so it, I don't know, it just makes you think about the prophetic walk and how important it is to have that depth of, of relationship to accept that burden of the Father, regardless of what it looks like or what it requires of you. Because he was not praying and interceding for that people group. That people group prayed he and had interceded. No, for them no, he didn't. At all. Zero. And I, I, you know, I could just say that from I think all of us could probably testify that when the Lord burdens your heart for a nation or a people group, it is a hundred and fifty percent God and none of you. I mean, it is, and and it's so real and it's it's from what it all you know it's just from what it all flows through. When you go to prophesy our minister, and I just don't, I just don't see that with him. And then look what happens. You know, not that Elijah didn't struggle and say, "Just kill me now," but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he he did definitely didn't have a burden for him. <coughs> so it's uh, it says something about how wrong thinking can become a tradition, and the tradition replaces theology. I mean, the Jews were separated from the world. Mm -hmm. And that separated, that separation eventually caused them to dislike and distrust the rest of the world. And that led to hatred. Mm -hmm. And there was Jonah feeling that hatred toward his enemies, who he was supposed to go change their life. But think about this then. So think about the fact that there's no precedence for what, for what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. God's never sending money to their enemies to convert them. They were always to destroy them. Okay, I want you to go mm -hmm. to the Ninevites and just yeah. take them out. So, mm -hmm. so this is actually a really new concept. Oh yeah, I'm not. Uh, I mean, I'm just. I'm just, saying that for now. No right. I mean, we can, we can be the same kind oh, as you sure. were bringing up earlier that <clears throat> a wrong thinking becomes tradition, and tradition replaces theology. Good. Very good observation. Very good. So, um, <laughs> not only did he not have a burden for the people, it says here, continuing in verse 1, chapter 4, he prayed unto the Lord and he said, I pray thee, Lord, was, was not this my saying when I was in my country? Is not, is not this what I knew was going to happen? I, this is why I fled from Tarsus. I mean, we want to know why he ran this is why he ran because he knew if he brought that word that the Lord had given him for the people of Nineveh that they would get right with the Lord I knew that thou art a gracious God merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and that it repentest thee of the, and repentest thee of the evil so he knew that this is what would happen and it just it, it did not it was not aligned with what he wanted to happen. So, you know, my note here is that God saves as he wills, not as we will. And he uses man as his instruments. And obedience is the key 
And that should be our focus, not on the outcome and not even on the people group that we're sent to. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is our obedience and our obedient actions. What happens is up to God. And as we all know, who can know the mind of God, right? We, we, we don't know, and we don't have to know. And we do know that God wills that all men would come to the light, and not just those that we like, okay? We know he wants all men to come to the light, our enemies as well, and especially those that are lost and that are wayward and that are living um, in the world. Jesus, as we know, did not come to save the whole. He came to save the broken. He came to save those that were lost. So continuing in the scripture, Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord... <laughs> so he preaches this message to the Ninevites. 120,000 people get saved. And he says, Therefore now, O Lord, I beseech thee, take my life. For it is better for me that I die than I live. Back to Dake here, a couple of notes. What good was his prayer? The man who is angry at the mercy and pleasure of God does not need to expect his prayers to be answered. Think of this. A man who caused 120,000 people to become converted to God and his will, he became angry because his ministry was fruitful. This shows only one thing, that Jonah was deeply patriotic and put this above the souls of men and above the will of God. But the funny thing is, is that, you know, I don't think that, that they had ever encountered that type of scenario before. So to, it's kind of like Moses when he was wroth over the children of Israel disobeying again and he you know, spoke out, and that was it for him. Um, you know, Jonah was only expressing what had always been the way with the Israelites and, and the way they dealt with their enemies. It does speak of, like Dennis said, a really deep mindset that was unwilling to change when God was wanting to change or do something different. And that does speak to all of us. Mm-hmm particularly the church, but every one of us. It's it does. Not just not just the church, but we all can get set in our mindset on what God can do. And we have righteous indignation over things that we see. Mm-hmm. And As I don't we know if we recognize it. Mm-hmm. But that's it's just such a that's one thing I never really thought about with this story was the fact that they never done that before mm-hmm. so this was you know setting a precedent sort of and they've never done that so well, you know it's a, it's a unique thing here if you, if you speculate on the time frame which you know it's kind of nebulous the time frame right <coughs> but jo- Jonah first of all it actually happened if you, you look at Mosul which is Nineveh and that was that Islamic stronghold. And when the bombings hit, they uncovered deep under the ground murals about etched into the wall of this whale and Jonah. And so it's interesting. But the, they speculate that he probably lived like 
50 or so years after the temple was built. And Solomon was commanded by God at that dedication to send tabernacles into the world, mm -hmm. which he obviously didn't do. Mm. People were coming to him because of his blessing and everything. So this guy was probably a mindset. He even mentions, you read the scripture about the temple. Mm -hmm. yeah, they were proud of that. Mm -hmm. And instead of wanting to go forward into these nations, they said, well, screw you guys. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. So this may have been a picture of the mindset that was going on in Solomon's kingdom during that time frame. And, and it is without precedent, but it, it was the precedent of what God was wanting to happen right. at the temple, yep. which didn't really happen in the way God wanted to. So then you go like 200 or so years later, and Nahum rises up, and his whole book is about Nineveh, you're going to be destroyed. Now. Mm -hmm. So we don't know really what happened. And I was just looking to see if there was any historical connection between Solomon and the Ninevites. Some people try to con connect the Queen of Sheba, but she was from Ethiopia. Right. Because Jesus mentions her and the Ninevites. But I just think that's interesting that th this really hadn't happened before, as, as was said. But it really is a picture of what in those days days when the temple was just heralded and people were coming from around the world what did God say I want to do at that dedication I want you to send forth tabernacles and I want to expand the kingdom this prophet is sent there kicking and screaming yep. and, and the people repent but we don't know what happens to them obviously 200 years later Nahum rises up and gives them the whammy and they're all absorbed by Babylon but it, it's just interesting, and I wonder with this is to what God said he wanted to do. This guy was an unwilling prophet. And you don't see any of the other prophets saying, you know, hey, let's go out and take tabernacles. God's making this guy go in the time when the temple was still brand new. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's an interesting part of this. It's really interesting right? I was I was thinking when you were when you were talking about that about you know pride there's a lot of pride going on here I think because <clears throat> you know the Lord says I want you to take tabernacles out and you're sitting there saying wait a minute we just built this temple and everybody's coming to us we're not going to go take this anywhere we're going to let the people come to us True. right we got the goods you come on right we don't have to go out um, True. it's very very interesting again another a change something that God was wanting to do that was new Yes. That they were unwilling to do. Right. So we should take a lesson from that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, okay. We're almost done here. Verse 4, chapter 4. Then said the Lord to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a booth, and he sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Now, this is interesting because what's going on here is, I think, and it says here in this commentary, he was still hoping that God would destroy the city and that his own converts of 120,000 people. He could only wait and see what God would do. And in the meantime, his anger continued unabated. Okay? So the Lord, in verse 6, prepares a gourd or a plant to 
to grow up over Jonah that it might give him some shade over his head and to deliver him from his grief. So here the Lord's looking out for Jonah, right? I mean, he, he sees how obstinate he is and how he's upset about all this. Oh, no, he's fixing to make a point. Yeah, and, and he is about to make a point. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this little tree that grew up over him and gave him shade. But what did God do? He prepared a worm which came the next morning. I'm sorry, which came over the night. And the next morning arose and it smote the gourd and the gourd withered. So the little shade tree died and fell down. And it came to pass as the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon his head and he fainted and he wished himself to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And so God says to Jonah, Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the, the gourd, the plant that's dead? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry even unto death. And the Lord said, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither made to grow, which came up in a night and perishes in a night. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city where there are more than 120,000 people that can't discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? <laughs> the end. The end. How about that for a f ending? So the final end of the story is not recorded. It is not known how long he remained angry or whether he ever overcame this feeling or how long Nineveh remained in a state of faith to God. The answer to these and other questions wait for us in eternity to be made clear. Many good lessons are possible by careful application of the facts of this book in our lives. We can all profit by the mistakes of Jonah, and we can learn to be patient and merciful to our fellow men, to do God's work without being forced to do it, and to appreciate life and all it holds without living in anger until death, as Jonah contended was well to do in his case. Wow. So... I hope that you got something out of that teaching. I found it very interesting because it was totally different than my mental image of Jonah and the whale story uh, you know, that I'd had all my life. So thank you for your participation, your input, your thoughts, and um, let's close with prayer. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's new every day. And Lord, there's so, I just, I know there's so many things in here that we had these you know, we, we heard stories when we were younger. We have some preconceived notions in our mind of what the stories were about. But, Lord, your Holy Spirit is the great teacher. And you reveal these things to us, Lord, that you would have us to come to understand. And, Lord, we just um, thank you for your word and for the opportunity to freely come before you as a group, a community, Lord, to explore your word and to um, just grow in your grace. Father, we love you and we thank you and we love you. Amen.